Well, a man visited an orange grove where an irrigation pump had broken down and the season was unusually dry and and, uh, some of the trees were beginning to die for a lack of water. The tour guide took the man to his own orchard where irrigation was used sparingly. He said, these trees could go without rain for another two weeks. You see, when they were young, I frequently kept water from them. And this hardship caused them to send their roots deep down into the soil and search for moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area while all others are are being scorched by the sun. These are finding moisture at a greater depth. What a picture of what James communicated last week. We will face hardship, trials, seasons of drought, but God can actually use these things in his sovereign wisdom according to his plan to deepen our roots of faith to make us strong, whole, mature, and spiritually healthy. Hardships can produce spiritual maturity if we count them as joy, if we endure them in faith, if we let steadfastness have its full effect, if we seek God's wisdom, if, if, if. Trials can end in tragedy if they are met with the wrong attitude. One such attitude is to blame God. In James's day, and even in our day, there's a skewed deterministic picture of God where we can see God uh, as sending us trials as temptations. God wants to incite me to sin. So when we do sin, we have somebody to blame. God put this impossible trial in front of me. I can't help but, but choose to do wrong in response to what he has allowed to happen in my life. One contemporary of Jesus wrote, when the mind has sinned and removed itself far from virtue, it lays the blame on divine causes. God made me poor. Therefore, he provoked me to steal. My business is is failing. God has not intervened. He's tempting me to drown myself in alcohol. My marriage is hard right now. God is doing nothing about it. Maybe I should just cheat on my partner. And James sets out to correct this skewed, untrue view of God. Turn to James 1. Have the Bible in front of you. We say it every week. We're a Bible church. Uh, Things will be a lot more interesting for you if you have God's word in front of you. Turn to James 12 or 1. Verse 12. Turn to chapter 1, verse 12. James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, as we open up, your word today, as we dive into your word today, I pray that the spirit is guiding us uh, to fully understand it. The spirit is working through me uh, to speak, to clarify, to illuminate God's truth and our hearts are receptive to it in a way that transforms us, makes us different, changes the way we think, changes the way we understand, changes the way we behave in a way that is Christ-like and God-honoring. Amen. Go back to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This verse is actually a callback to what James promised last week about joy and trials because they produce perseverance and maturity. So he's, he's referring to last week, but he's also setting up a new topic this week. But where else do we see this sort of language? Blessed is the man. Where else do we see this sort of language? Does anybody have an idea? This is not a rhetorical question. Raise your hand if you know it. Blessed is the, where do we see it? The Beatitudes. James stole this from his brother, Jesus. He copied his homework. And so James, it's a Beatitude. It's it's, it's a type of blessing. Happy is the man. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. We see Jesus using these in the Sermon on the Mount. Trials may be short. They may be long. But they are never forever. God will bless those who endure. I'm going to say that again. God will bless those who endure with a crown of life. And there are five crowns in James. James likes talking about crowns. Many of us say crayon like we do crown. So I'm trying to be very uh, articulate here. Crowns. There's five crowns. The crown of life, the incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, and the crown of glory. Now, I don't think in heaven you will have a wardrobe closet filled with all different types of crowns that are bejeweled and, and, and beautiful that you can chew hope. Crown of righteousness today, I'm really gonna flex on my fellow saints and be braggadocious. That's not the type of crown that is being talked about here. This is a laurel wreath or a crown put on an athlete's head after winning a race. This crown isn't some treasure above and beyond eternal life itself. This crown is a metaphor for eternal life. We will receive a crown of salvation. James is like, I know it's hard. Don't give up. Don't shipwreck your faith. Don't abandon that which you love because at the end is a glorious inheritance. Your momentary afflictions, your trials 
are not worth comparing with the glory that you will experience in the next life with God forever. Let tomorrow's hope help you endure today. Now, when we think about hope, it's kind of like a, we cross our fingers. It may happen. I think it's going to happen, but I'm not a hundred percent sure it will happen. It's gaslight hope. There are people in this room who fill up their gas tank when it's halfway full, right? And there are many of you who wait till the gas light is on to see how far you can push it. Maybe I can get to work and back. Uh, in my marriage, my wife is, I'm that person who, who waits. And, and we kind of cross our fingers. I hope I'm going to make it. I hope I hope there's enough gas in the tank. When God says something will happen, it is reality. It will objectively happen. Our hope is sure. While we wait for it, it's as good as done. And we have hope. Let the hope of eternity drive you to endure today. Now that's a little bit what we talked about last week. So look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, this is one of those times where we question, does James have ADD? Like he was just talking about trials. Now he's talking about temptations. Then he's going to talk about the father of lights. And like James feels like that often. Well, well, there are two links here to to verse 13 and 14. First is a a grammatical link. The Greek word, the root word for trial is the same root word for temptation. And so there's a a, a vocabulary link there. Same root word. There's also a thematic link. For every trial carries with it a temptation. With every trial comes the opportunity for temptation to come into the picture. Temptation is that thing that entices one to sin. One commentator wrote, when we face financial difficulty, we're tempted to distrust God's provision. When someone dear to us dies, we are tempted to question God's love. When we experience unjust suffering, we are tempted to impugn God's righteousness. Two individuals may react differently to the same set of difficult circumstances, and it all comes down to perspective. What is a trial to one person may be a true temptation to another person. Person A sees their trial in terms of testing. That's what James talked about last week. God is sovereign. God is good, God is for me, God is in control. He is able to take evil in his power and use it for good purposes in my life to grow me, to mature me. I need to ask for wisdom in the midst of those trials, but I need to consider what is happening to me as something that can be turned into a good if I let steadfastness have its full effect. Therefore, I am going to persevere in faith, asking God for wisdom. Person B 
sees trials as temptation. God has sent this thing in my life to trip me up. God has sent this thing in my life to to punish me. And now he wants to see me fail even more. He has allowed this thing to happen to, to encourage me, to incite me to sin, which gives me a pass to disobey, to rebel. James is like, let no one say such a thing. Let no one say such thing. God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. I believe the idea here is that everything in God is anti-sin. He resists sin. Evil is not his nature. He's aware of it. He's untainted by it. But in no way does he desire for us to turn to sin. In no way can God be blamed for temptation and sin. God tempts no one. God tempts no one. But but Larry, shifting the blame is so easy and natural. It is human to shift blame. This past week at school, we had three or four students make really foolish decisions, vaping in the bathroom. Oh my goodness. Come on. You know, just doing all sorts of of crazy things, making inappropriate comments, getting suspended, doing all of these things. And and here's the common denominator. It's happened like three or four times. Here's Here's what happens with every single kid when confronted. Well, it was actually this guy's fault. This guy is the one who kind of led us and... You know, he's really the one that said this. I was, I was just near. Yes, that guy shoved an e-cigarette into your mouth. <laughs> and he made your lungs expand and contract to inhale that smoke over and over. Yes, it is, his, it is natural and human to shift the blame of our sin onto somebody else. It's the culture's fault. It's what's on TV. That's why I stumble. God put me in an impossible situation. It's my upbringing. I had a really bad upbringing. And that's why I make the decisions that I make. Or the Christian favorite, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Now, can the devil entice us at times? Yes, but you would think that God would go straight to Satan here, right? God cannot be tempted. God tempts no one. Satan does. You would think that flows biblically. But there's no mention of Satan here. Look, Look who bears responsibility. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Here is a mirror James says, let me introduce you to who is responsible for your temptation. He's a very handsome fellow. His name is Larry. And so even though our sin has been forgiven, even though we are new creations, even though we have the Holy Spirit helping us to sin, there is still something 
inside us prone to rebel, prone to disobey, easily enticed. Temptation happens when our own evil desires lure us and entice us. The language here carries the idea of of baiting a hook. How many fishermen do we have? Raise your hand if you like to fish. Yeah. You're kind of evil. There's, there's, you know, I'm, I'm not bad. <laughs> you hunt a deer. The deer's just chewing grass one second. The next second, he's in deer heaven. Let's just hope deer heaven exists for the little baby deers. It's not biblical. <laughs> but a fish, you, you, you make it look attractive, right? You, you, it's enticing. It's, oh, worm there's a bug and you're like yeah (laughs) little present for you buddy and then you impale that fish (laughs) in the side of the head (laughs) with a hook it's evil Tom (laughs) no fish bites an empty hook It's the hook that's enticing, attractive. It's the hook, though, that kills. And and sin works, temptation works in a very similar way. It appeals to our desires. It attracts us, but it hides the fact that it will pull us away and it will kill us. Look at verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin when it's fully grown, brings forth death. If, if there was a, uh, a family tree of destruction, it, it would be sinful desires and sin and then death. The idea here is that unchecked sinful desires lead to sinful action. If we don't check our sinful desires, if we don't ask God to search our hearts, that will lead to sinful action. My motives, uh, my, my thoughts, my emotions, everything is up for game, God. I need you to reveal sin in me. If we don't do that, that will lead to sinful action, disobedience. We will fail to do good. We will do wrong. We will miss the mark. We will transgress, step over the line. However you want to define sin, we will rebel. We will disobey. And if that sin isn't checked and and repented of, not dealt with. We will find ourselves jumping into sin, rebellion, and disobedience head first, without repentance, without remorse. That sin brings about death. That sin brings about death. Let's come back to the context here because James kind of took us on a little bit of a bunny trail of sin and death. God wants you to rest in his goodness and he wants you to rest in his plan for your life, even in the midst of trials. He wants you to ask for wisdom. He wants the hope of your eternal tomorrow to sustain you to today for today. But if a trial moves you to distrust God and you jump into drunkenness and you jump, jump into infidelity and you jump into pornography and, and anger, God is not to blame. God is not to blame. If that is you, 
and it's been me. If that is you, repent. Repent. Own up to the fact that you've fallen short. It's a hard thing to do to look in the mirror sometimes. Take responsibility. Admit, I've seen this opportunity for you to grow me, and I've turned it into an excuse to rebel. Rest in the fact that our God is free to forgive when we do ask for forgiveness. Ask God then to give you wisdom to see those baited hooks of temptation for what they are, death traps, and then set your mind on what is true. Set your mind on what is true. God is, was, and always will be good and loving. Something James is quick to remind us of. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So if you're gonna blame God for something, blame him for being abundantly generous. He doesn't give us temptations, but he gives us every good thing. Do not deceive yourself. God does not send us temptation, but that doesn't mean he's stingy in the sending category. Look at verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. In context, what are the good gifts that God gives us? He gives us perseverance. He gives us Christ-likeness to stand uh, firm in trials. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us wisdom when we ask for it. He gives us courage and faith that sustains what we believe in regards to our trials. His intentions are always good. If God sends you anything, he sends good gifts. God sends good gifts. And if we broaden our understanding of this passage, we then know that if it's truly good in this life, it's a gift from God. If it's edifying. If it produces joy. If it's enjoyed in a way that honors God, you're going to find a, a sticker on it. It's going to say, made in heaven. From the father of lights. He created the moon and the stars. And even though those things shift and change and move, God's character and the way he treats his people never does. He will always be good. He will always be abundantly generous. The participle flowing down is in the present here present tense of Greek, which means ongoing action. He is abundantly and continually generous to us. Even though there may be a testing that he allows, it's still for our good. And I'll be honest, I am prone to sin when I fail to realize that God is still good. The moment that leaves my mind, the moment temptation really sets 
in. Our bitterness, our constant comparisons with others, it can blind us to these good gifts, especially, you know, when other people's lives are great and we're stuck in a trial. We can become disillusioned and we can just say, God, you're allowing this to happen. You've allowed this trial and suffering into my life. You know, there's really nothing good going on right now. I might as well just do those things that you don't desire of me to do. I might as well, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is you go to first. Might as well just kind of rebel. Remind yourself of God's generosity on a regular basis. You have breath in your lungs. You have food in your belly this morning. Or you're about to. (laughs) You have the spirit in your heart. You have a Bible on your lap. Worshiping God with people who care about you. And even the trial you are persevering through right now can be a present in God's hands. And if you fail still to be thankful, reflect on this gift. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be, kind, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Talk about gifts. He transformed your life. You were born again through the word of truth because you believed in the gospel. He gave his one and only son for you so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you could have eternal life. He saved you. He brought you in to his eternal family. You have become a first fruit. God will one day recreate all of creation. He will remove sin and dwell with his people directly. Our new birth is the first stage in that process. God has done much for you. God gives good gifts. Trials will come. Trials will come. God will test our faith. He'll purify our faith. But it's never intended to incite us to sin. I'm, I'm going to say that again because it's not preached in a lot of churches. Trials will come. When you face trials of various kinds, our life as Christ followers is not one of ease. Trials will come, but that means God is bringing about opportunities in your life to transform Form you and your perspective on that trial or on that suffering will either bring about life and growth and maturation or it will bring about death and destruction and brokenness. What they produce is often determined by our attitude. God blesses those who endure. Let hope sustain you. God tempts no one. Repent of such notions, flee from baited hooks, and realize that God gives good gifts. Acknowledge him as the source for everything good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.